Hello and welcome listeners to another very exciting, very hot, very fresh, super spicy, super saucy, hot take. The Story Screen Presents podcast, where we talk about new movies that we've just seen. I'm not sure when my guest had seen this movie, but I just watched it last night at like midnight. So I'm super fresh on this movie. Spooky. 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 Uh, I know it sounds weird. If you've listened to Hot Takes before, I'm sure you're more familiar with my guest's voice leading us into this podcast. Uh, We're switching up the format at Story Screen Presents. Hot Takes is now going to be hosted by all of your favorite Story Screen family members. And I am your host today, Bernadette Gorman-White. I have only hosted one hot take in the past, and it was years ago when we did Ocean's 8. And it was an all-ladies podcast, and I hosted that one. But that's the only one, obviously, that I've ever hosted, and I'm excited to be in the hosting chair for this special episode. But today, I'm joined by my guest, Robbie Anderson. Hey, Burn. I'm glad to have you in the hosting seat. I, I like, to, you know, I can relax now. Uh, we finally got rid of that rule of, of no chicks <laughs> hot, hosting hot takes. You know, it was it was archaic. We had it implemented, you know. But the thing is, our constitution is a living document. It's supposed to be edited and amended and able to change. So I'm glad that we we changed the rules and I'm happy to have you here. Great. Yeah, just rip up that piece of paper. Just start fresh. Just rip up that dumb piece of paper. I don't even know why we wrote it. It's so long. <laughs> I mean, it's so crispy by now. Just just rip it up. It's like begging it's to so be ripped. It's so hot because we keep it in the oven. That's the thing. <laughs> we do keep it in the oven. Just constantly it's so hot baking. Takes. Constantly. And a nice 420. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. been fun um, preparing for this podcast because, yeah, I actually did, I think, a lot more research than I've done in a long time for a hot take. Which was cool, and I learned some stuff, and I'm excited to talk about it. But yeah, listeners, uh, we are here to talk about 2022's The Black Phone. And this film just recently came out this year. It is directed by Scott Derrickson and co-written by Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill. And these are the gents behind Doctor Strange, Sinister. They've kind of like been a part of like these new spooky Blumhouse films because this film as well is a Blumhouse production film. And it is the the lead name is Ethan Hawke in the the cast list, but Ethan Hawke really isn't in it that much. And we'll get into it. Later on in spoiler territory, listeners, mm. if you are tuning in for the first time to Hot Takes, we are going to talk about our general impressions of the Black Phone for this first segment. And then afterwards, we will take a quick break and then jump into spoiler territory. So feel free to continue listening if you haven't seen the film yet. I mean, you can listen to the entire podcast. We're at the podcast police. If you want to just listen no. all the way through, feel free. But just know in the second half, we are getting into spoilers but we will warn you when that happens. So, Robbie, overall impressions of The Black Phone. What'd you think? Uh, I I liked it. My hot take is I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, I think it's a movie that I also like. Like, I liked a lot about it when it wrapped up, but then uh, I had some, like, you know, criticisms are just kind of like, did I like this part? Did I like this part? Did I like these things? And then kind of the more I sat on it, the more I was just like, you know, that movie was like kind of a banger. Like, it's a really good, like, summer horror movie, I think. Um, it's, I, I wish it was like, I wish I got to see it in a theater. Yeah, I think that would have been really cool. Yeah, I feel like that's, but you know, I, I would say that every time I see a movie streaming. But uh, it is in theaters, but it just uh, was more convenient for me to watch it on my couch, which, you know. I'm glad I had the option. Yeah. But yeah, I really, I I overall really liked it. I think um, the cast is good. I think it takes a bit for them to kind of find their footing, especially the kids. Um, I think the movie kind of, like, once, like, the movie proper begins, I was a lot more, like, into it. Um, But I really like the way it's shot. I like that it, like, looks almost, like, found footagey at times. And it's, like, B-roll moments. And it kind of feels like a... um, like a Netflix, like serial killer, like documentary, you know, like it, 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 
uses that homages. I think Ethan Hawke is is great as like this creepy guy. I I don't know if I've ever seen Ethan Hawke as like Mr. Creepy, except maybe in the titular Moon Knight. But yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so overall, I thought I I really liked it. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I I went into it. I had seen the trailer. I didn't really know much about the film. I didn't know it was based off of a short story um, mm-hmm. from years and years ago. Um, so obviously I did some research into that as well. But yeah, not knowing a whole lot going into it, I was already kind of sold, at least on watching the movie, because of Ethan Hawke. Um, I think yeah. we've been on an Ethan Hawke train as of late, which has been a very fun train to be on. I don't want to get off. I know. To be honest. We're just on it forever now. <laughs> I'm, I'm down. <laughs> and it seems like he's just going to keep putting out work. So that's exciting. That's good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was great. I, I do think the kids are great. I can see what you mean, though, because there is a segment at the beginning of the film where the film is really resting on the children a lot. Yeah. Yes. And then so at first you're like, I don't really know any of these kids. Not that that matters, but sometimes you feel a little bit more like held if it's a child actor that you're familiar with. But me being unfamiliar mm-hmm. with all of these kids, I'm like, I don't know if these kids are being good actors or if they're just being kids. So it was kind of hard to tell at first yeah. where it was going to go. I, th- I think like some of the dialogue just, it didn't feel like it was like written in a way that it would like, come out of a kid's mouth. Right. You know, like it sounded like it was, it was a kid saying adult writing, like adult dialogue. Right. Um, which I think, like, you know, happens, and I'm okay with that, like, you know, some of the best, like, movies that deal with, like, teens and stuff, like, you know, it's the thing you don't expect. It's like, oh, kids, like, you know, are a lot smarter than you think, and they have potty mouths, and they, you know, speak a lot more adult when they're, and it's just them than you'd realize. We were all kids, too. We did the same thing. But, uh, yeah, I just wasn't, like, totally, like, kind of sold. And when I thought the movie was kind of just going to be, like, almost like it, you know, where it's just, like, it's just the kids, I was like, I don't know, but... Like I said, I think once they are in their kind of like the roles that they're going to be in for the rest of the movie, I thought they like really exceeded my expectations at that point, and they were really good. Yeah, especially the uh, the daughter scrape. Agreed. Yeah, that actress who played Gwen Madeline McGraw, she mm-hmm. apparently has been in a decent amount of stuff. I know it was Mason Thames's first role, essentially. Like he had been in, I think, two other projects leading up to this. The uh, the kid who played Finny. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the young actress who played Gwen, she's been in a decent amount of work, and she was the voice of Bonnie in Toy Story 4, which I thought was pretty cute. Because huh, I was like, oh yeah, she's been around for a while in, in things she that I've actually seen. Yeah. Which is in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh yeah. I saw huh. that too. Wow. She's been around. Yeah, she, is in the, she is in a lot of stuff, yeah. <laughs> but it's weird because she has like a pretty distinctive face that I just didn't recognize at all, even though I've seen her in things. I think the thing is with kids, like, they grow so much between projects that you, like, effectively don't recognize them unless they're, like, you know, really look specific, you know? You're right. like, oh, yeah, I know. Like, I'm going to know Finn Wolfhard. Forever. You know, from anything. Because he just, lo- you know, and also, like, you, you spend more time with him in his projects because they're, like, shows, right? It's not just, like, an hour. Um, it's, like, you know, eight hours of television. Right. Or, like, I don't know, tw- 17 hours of television, like, the last season. Right, right. Committing to memory. Hardcore, for sure. Yes, yes. (laughs) But yeah, especially, I think, too, something that could have thrown us off from recognizing her, even if we would have normally, is that she's in all these 70s clothing, because this film takes place in 78, which is cool for the costume department. Um, And I think they lean into it the most with Gwen's character, with her Mm. like little jumpers and her sweaters and her poncho. And yeah, Yeah. the outfits are very cool. I like the... I like the houses too. The houses yeah. were very, you know, you know, they, for the purposes of the movie, they were very seventies feeling. But they felt like, you know, they felt like an older house for sure, like a house you might have went into when you're you're a younger kid. Yeah, and they they felt lived in. I think the yeah the design was very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't seem like a movie set at all, which takes place in Colorado, but shot in North Carolina. It, it's kind of like who, who cares yeah. where this film takes place realistically you know doesn't really matter everything's either shot in the carolinas or canada yeah or what's the other big one atlanta now Here, i mean hudson, hudson valley atlanta mm-hmm. yeah georgia for sure uh and then hudson valley is 
starting to creep up, I feel like. Absolutely. Which is cool, which is cool for us, but it's like, wow, look at that. Yeah. I always thought it was too expensive to shoot in New York, but maybe something's changed. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I haven't really looked into like the licenses or what all of that costs, but yeah. Yeah. Because Atlanta and um, was it North and South Carolina, like it's like cheap to shoot there, and I think there's like a lot of like laws that benefit production companies from like being down there. So maybe there's like something laws or like something. You know, I'm talking out of my ass. So if anyone wants to like actually correct me, <laughs> that's totally fine. But right. I'm pretty sure there's like there are like actually like, good reasons why they flock to those areas. Yes, I think there are a lot of again talking out of my ass. I think there are a lot of tax credits. To be had down there okay, too. Yeah, I think for sure, and maybe not as much up here. Hard to say. Maybe it's changing though, because people be doing it. Maybe. Are you yeah. currently watching Westworld? No. Should I be? Because I watched the first season, I really liked it, and then I cannot understand. I, I feel like I see anecdotally from people like you know on the internet being like. It fucking sucks. Or like this new this newest season I've heard is either the best since season one or it is dog shit and no one knows why they're still watching it. And there's no in between. So can you help me? Can you help me out? Similarly to Stranger Things, I think the first season is the best. But this current season, season it's four, good. is the one that it's kind of hooking me much more than season two or season three did. Yeah. Um, so I would say maybe give it a shot if you have some extra time lying around but if you can't really find it in your heart to make time for it i wouldn't say worry about it you know what i mean yeah i mean i definitely would rewatch season one again because season one is such a banger it's so and good it's been, so, it's been a long time yeah and i feel like season two is the one that people really were kind of pushed out on and then like three i think brought some people back because that's also when aaron paul comes into the show right isn't three yeah yeah so I think that's snagged a few. And again, like some people I hear, the people who I, I think I trust more, I hear like season four. So, you know, it's a show that I would really love to like. Right. You know, because it seems so cool. And I love that first season so much. For sure. But yeah, in season four, I've been surprised. They do a lot of shooting on the High Line down in New York City. Mm-hmm. And... So they've been shooting, like, in the heart of the city. And I wonder how difficult that is for them. Because, yeah, I thought also shooting in New York yeah. City wasn't ideal. And not and a, lot a lot of times it's, like, in Toronto. It. Right. Right? Like, yeah. But it's weird. I mean, you know, people, I mean, it, I mean, you know, it happens. Yeah. Like, I remember people being like, oh, yeah, they, you know, closed down my, my block in Brooklyn to, like, shoot the Spider-Man scene. So, like, we think it's, like, that's Spider-Man, so they got the money. But True. maybe Westworld has the money. I don't know. It might. Did you ever see... Uh, not to stray too fucking hard from this movie, but did you ever see, uh, I think it's Die Hard 4? I did not. The one with Samuel L. Jackson? Okay, they are in New York City, and I, I'm like, they. how did they not level it? Like, they are doing such insane shit that I'm like, this can only be, they are in New York City. There's no way they're not in New York City. This has to be the most expensive movie I've ever seen. They're doing, like, stunts through Central Park. I'm like, with cars. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> Different time, perhaps. I don't know. But I'm like, this must be the most expensive movie just ever made. Like, I have no idea. It must be. Yeah. it's The stuff they're doing in, like, only can be New York City. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, but it's Die Hard, so. Who knows? Who knows? It is Die Hard. And at that point, it's like the fourth one. So it's just like, hey, you know people are going to come see this. Absolutely. But yeah, so the fact that this movie is shot where it's shot doesn't really, like, hold a lot of balance. It's supposed to be... In, like, a suburb of Denver, Colorado. And... Do you think, like, a lot of... Did, like, a lot of abductions and stuff, like, happen in Colorado, like, at that time, maybe? Or, like... Like, was... Is it, like, historically accurate to, like, some turmoil that happened at the time? I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. That is some of the research I did not do for this podcast. Fair enough. <laughs> but, yeah. I, Me either. <laughs> yeah, I think missing kids is, like, a big thing, obviously, in horror films. Um, yeah. And especially, I think, horror writing. I think it's much more prevalent, I th- especially since The Black Phone was a short story. I'd imagine mm-hmm. th- the concept of, like, this grabber, the grabber grabbing children um, yeah. would be a very, like, scary little story to go side by side with. I'm not sure what other stories that Joe Hill wrote in that short story collection. But yeah, I think it is a common horror trope that 
works pretty well. And for this short, tight movie that they made, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Super concise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, like, fun movie. I, I, I'm glad I, like, forgot the trailer because I watched it again because I, we had to kind of do this episode last minute because uh, we weren't able to record a different one. But uh, I saw the black phone like a week or two weeks ago. And so I watched the trailer right before this just to kind of like refresh my memory and some of the stuff in it. And uh, I, I don't know if I hadn't seen that trailer specifically, but I'm kind of glad I didn't because there's so much in the trailer that's yeah. like from like the climax of the movie. I was like, yo, stop. <laughs> yeah. Stop. Um, but... Yeah, no, I, it's a movie that I think like it gets it, it gets better and better and better, um, and I'm excited to talk about maybe some of the other like um, horror movie tropes and homages it's pulling from because I think it's like you know there's some that like I thought were questionable but I ended up being sold on by the end of the day, um, especially stuff like surrounding the the daughter, of what she can do of what she can do and what she can do. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have any? Because I have one like closing comment to make before we get into spoilers. But mm-hmm. do you feel like there's anything else you really want to touch on before getting into spoiler territory? Because I do feel like this film, while it's really cool to watch, and the clothing's awesome and the set's awesome, a lot of what we do have to talk about is in spoiler territory. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, it's a horror movie, so a lot of, like, the best stuff is going to be a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's too much, like, non-spoilery I, I want to touch on. I do think it's it's definitely worth watching. I think it's great. It's a great, like, it's, like, a very, like, solid movie. You know? Like, I didn't necessarily get my socks blown off, but it's, like, it's really just, like, good. Like, it's just a good movie. It's very well made. Um, but, yeah, if you're in, if you're even, like, slightly curious about this movie, you should absolutely go see it it's a lot of fun um and if you can't see it in the theater you can drop the 20 bucks to see it on amazon but it's cheaper than two tickets if you're going with someone so it's true you know i don't know i don't know <laughs> yeah i think it's i think it's really good that's that's really my my two senses is like i think it's worth seeing um and i had a really good time watching it yeah i i agree with you um it's one of those movies so I think you and I both have been watching some films as of late because of the people in them. And then we've kind of been let down. Um, look at you, Gray Man. Looking at you. But, oh my God, Gray Man. <laughs> but uh, this one I was excited to watch mostly because of Ethan Hawke. But it's great when you have like an entry point into having interest for a movie and watching the movie. And then it ends up being a, a good movie and like a good time. And so yeah. this one falls into that category where... I was watching it for Ethan Hawke mainly, but also from, like, a little bit of interest of what was going on in the story. But then the story itself, I agree with you. I think the trailer is pretty poorly made. But I do like that the film is, like, so tight. And there's really not a lot of extracurricular things happening. It is a very tight story, pretty simple. And as you had said, what can the girl do? That's, like, really the only, like, kind of crazier part that you just have to go with. Uh, Yeah. And so that kind of brings me to my closing point before we get into spoiler territory, is that in my research, it's not like this was unknown, but it was unknown by me, that the writer of this short story, Joe Hill, his full name is Joe Hillstrom King, and so he's Stephen King's son. Oh, yeah, he is. And yes, and then I was like, oh, I've seen a lot of things that Joe Hill has written. Like, I've seen Horns. I know. Yeah. Nosferatu. I haven't watched Nosferatu, but he wrote that. He he wrote Lock and Key. So mm-hmm. it was interesting because while watching the film, I was like, I'm getting big, like, King vibes from this. You are. Yeah. And it was just because <laughs> yes, are. there are things happening. And that's one of my favorite things about Stephen King. And I, I know Joe Hill changed his name so he could just be himself and not Stephen King's son. So I'm kind of doing him a disservice by saying this. Yeah. I don't know. It probably has. It, it definitely has not like, uh, it's not like it hasn't benefited him to have Stephen King as his father. Right. And he embarks on a horror writing career. Like, you uh, know, I think he's just going to have to accept the comparisons. Yeah, it's going to happen. But yeah, yeah, some of my favorite stuff about Stephen King's work is that stuff is 
happening and different and you just have to buy into it. And that's what I really liked about the black phone is that there's stuff going on Mm -hmm. and you just have to go with it. Can't fight it. Just let it happen. But it was very, very good. I mean, I think something like black phone, like has a lot, it's like all the good things about it, but like kind of like coalesced, Mm -hmm. you know? Because it has a lot of, you know, it deals with very similar, like, you know, kids being abducted, like a a plague of kids being uh, abducted and like parents freaking out and, you know, the manifestation of your fears. Um, So like, you know, I and and like kids having to kind of like work together to overcome this, like, in this case, maybe not supernatural, but just like obstacle, horrific obstacle. Um, So, yeah, I think that like... um, Something like Black Phone is almost, like, more effective than uh, maybe making a six-hour duology that spans multiple generations. It maybe just is, like, by the end of its second movie, a bloated mess with a clown. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Less is more, I think. (laughs) And this movie has, has a really good time kind of, like, taking all those, like, themes and elements, boiling it down to, like, really a generally concise movie and it gets to have fun being like grounded in ways you wouldn't expect and supernatural in ways you wouldn't expect. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. It definitely toes that line very expertly. I agree. Yeah. Well, great. We're going to take a very quick break and then we're going to get into spoilies. Yeah. 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 And we're back with spoilies. Uh, Robbie, the first thing I want to talk about, because it's pretty Mm. much like the entry point into the film that we discussed earlier, is Ethan Hawke's performance as the grabber and how cool his character is that we don't fully know what his like true motives are. I like that he's just a villain for villain's sake. Mm, I I, I totally agree. I I like that he's left mysterious i almost think that like giving him like a brother to be right next door is like really fun but almost like too much it's just like no keep him being like kind of more vague and more mysterious um yeah i thought you know he he feels like what an actual like serial killer i don't know potentially rapist who fucking knows what he does he's so scary because you really don't know you don't know what you know so little about him he just like wears this mask it's like where do you even get that mask and that's like you know a lot of like ambiguity that's like so effective in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Claire and I recently watched the what is it? The uh, the guy he was like a serial killer, but he was also a clown. Is like is it William Gacy? John Wayne or? Gacy. John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. So we watched a documentary on Netflix about him. Super creepy guy. But the thing is, like, you never like you know even by the end of the show, like you never like understand like really why he does it. And that's the thing about like all these like serial killers, like. In real life, like, it's not so cut and dry why they do it. It's not just like, I was traumatized and now I do this. Like, the dude had, like, mad trauma. He had, like, a lot of weird shit happen to him and his family. He, you know, but he, you know, he's never justified in what he did. But the thing is, like, it's never clear. And even, like, by his own admissions, he's just like, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I just could do it. I could do it. It's like, is that, tr- is that is that why? Like, I don't know. And I feel like that's what's so scary about the grabber, among many things, but just because, like, I think he just wants to do it, and now he just does that, and that's like, and that's what's really scary about it. Yeah, it's cool that you learn throughout the movie the mechanics of how and a little bit of why, but mostly just like how his game works. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of a, a serial killer, or you know, as you said, who knows what he's doing? Um, sure, who like makes up these weird rules for himself. Which is really cool, and I liked the idea of him, like, not being able to actually hurt these boys until they misbehaved. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a cool foil, especially to the the sister, Gwen, who was left alone with her father, who's an abusive father, at the same time. So it, I didn't really know exactly what the main themes or takeaway from the film is, and I don't think it's that important. But I didn't know if it was trying to maybe make a point about, you know, parental abuse and, 
you know, if you do look into it, you can kind of wonder, like, well, maybe, you know, the grabber was abused by his father at some point. But yeah, maybe like generational trauma, right. or transferred trauma or something. Right. But it's kind of cool, too, to see then the grabber's brother, <clears throat> Max, who doesn't seem to have that kind of issue. But he's also like a drug addict. So maybe he turned to drugs and the grabber turned to abduction and <laughs> killing children. Yeah. Who knows? His his issues manifested differently. I mean, like, you know, I think him and his brother, if anything, they both, like, seek purpose. Like, his brother is like, I want to solve this crime because I have kind of nothing else going for me. Mm-hmm. And then the grabber has found purpose in creating this kind of, like, f- fetishized game for himself to like interact with you know like kind of put himself in this like weird situation that brings him some level of dopamine or pleasure that you can only get from from doing that right yeah i think i was the most confused i didn't really think about it too much because i don't think the movie's that deep but i was just so max is his brother who is staying with him but where is max Mm -hmm. most of the time when all of, like, these weird things are taking place. Like, where is he? I guess he might be at work or just out. I feel like they mentioned that, like, the house has, like, a side area or something. Like, a side home. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of a, he's kind of a dunce, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, it's just like, I guess he just doesn't know. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but also, there's, there's, like, the two houses. Mm-hmm. Is he not maybe the other one? Is the other one just vacant? Or is he... Or I guess, no, you see them in the same house. At one point, so. Yeah. Yeah, you do see them in the same house, and the house across the street is empty, completely empty. And that's where the bodies are. Correct. Right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So. But it's funny, because Max, it's just hilarious, even though it shouldn't be, that Max is like, yeah, I'm crashing yeah. here until I can find a place. And it's just like, mm-hmm. there's this empty house across the street. It's just funny. Yeah, I'm assuming, like, not, I guess probably he doesn't even know about the no. house either yeah because that's you know stashing purposes only Only. need to Um, know only yeah yeah i love the way the mask changes um and just like the design of it the fact that it is like modular and you know kind of like changes with the acts of the film um but also like not just to you know change with the acts of the film but also like you know he is acting different emotively. I think at one point I was just like, oh, does he have like multiple personality disorder that it's like kind of shown through like the different like parts of the mask. But then it's just kind of like, I think, you know, he just is a fucking weirdo. Yeah. You know? And you never know where the mask comes from, uh-uh. which is cool, you know? Yeah. And then the mask too, I think a lot of the trailer and in the promotional poster is that smiling mask, but we barely get the smiling mask at all. We get like the really like demony with like the warts and the horns. We get that mask yeah, more the no, than anything. The no mouth one too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I, it's a very just like cool design, and it's very um, it's it's very unique. Like that's one of the, I think one of the more like unique elements of the movie, where it's just like oh, actually I've not really seen that. Where you know I think the film's pulling from like a lot of other stuff. Whether it be like real serial killer child abductions or even like, um, you know, I think The Shining has to be an influence on this movie, mm-hmm. you know, with with the kids and their shinning. They're shitting. powers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, one of the other fun things about The Mask, and this is towards the end of the movie, when Finney does get the mask off of his eyes, because we'll occasionally see mm-hmm. him with the the mouth part removed. But yeah, when he takes the whole mask off, he freaks out. Like he goes into yeah. like some kind of like fit of rage or fit of terror as if like removing the it's mask. Like ex- exposed. Yeah. Yeah. He he reacted in such a way that was pretty terrifying and I wouldn't have expected yeah. from that actor nor the character. And it made the character even more cool at the very end of the film like in his last moments. It made him more interesting. And at that point, of course, you're rooting for Finney to, like, get what he needs and get what he deserves. But at that point, it's like, man, I'd be interested in, in, like, seeing this character after he was caught. Like, 
dealing with maybe the how and the why. Because that just doesn't have a place in this film, but it could have had a place no. in another film. He's just so interesting. Even like wh- whether it's like seeing how he would like deal with the fallout of getting caught, or even just seeing like what led him to create this, you know, persona. Because mm-hmm. it's it's very specific, right? Like from like the mask, the fact that it's modular to the game, like this this thing he's developed clearly required a lot of thought and it's like all right so like what is his deal is he actually a magician you know he looks like he's like a my chemical romance magician when he's on the streets i'm not really sure if that's his like actual gig but um yeah it's always like interesting to see kind of like the creepy persons like that um just like how much thought goes into like their abductions and stuff like he has like the cans that have like i don't know chloroform or something in them yeah. something that knock the kids out you know and like the the black balloons so like there's a lot of thought put into that but yeah. yeah i would have loved to and like you know it's it's better that i think we don't get any more than we got but yeah i would have loved to to know you know what this guy is like did he find the mask did he make the mask was he you know, molested or something. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's what you want to know. It's like what all those, like, that's like why they make these documentaries about these serial killers. Because you just want to know, like, how could someone be so fucked up? Yeah. How? And how? and very bold of him and on the nose to be driving around in a van that says Abracadabra. It's just very funny. Yeah. Make, yeah, funny. Like, the movie is not trying to be funny, I don't think. But I had a Good couple, like, little laughs to myself. <laughs> Just, like, this movie is going yeah. places, which is funny. It's a it's a bold flick. Yeah, you it's know? bold. It's doing some stuff. Yeah, it's doing some stuff. Yeah, from the very beginning, um, we get, like, kind of like a cold open to the movie, and then we get, like, the opening credits. And mm-hmm. I thought the opening credits were so cool and so smart because they show you a lot of scenes of, like, kids getting roughed up. And you don't yeah. really know, you don't really have the frame of reference entirely to know that the kids are inflicting violence on each other, as opposed to like, oh, that's none of what the grabber's doing. You're not seeing any of that. You're seeing just kid on kid violence and just like how yeah. bad the bullying is in that area. And it was just a really cool opening credits that really like stands apart from the film as a whole, I think it still meshes well. Like, the seams are still very much in place of when the credits begin and when the credits finish and it goes back into the movie. Mm. But yeah, it gave me, um, if any of you listeners are familiar with Yellow Jackets on Showtime, they also Mm. did an opening credits montage where it's like found footage and kind of like interesting driving music behind it. But yeah, I thought the opening credits were great. And we don't get a lot of opening credits in movies anymore. So I like it. Not really. It's good. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was cool as well. The movie has a cool like vibe. I also really like like the color palette of the movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the violence in the movie, like I think by the end of the movie, I was like kind of torn. I was like, is the moral of this movie just kind of like stand up for yourself and use violence if, if necessary? You know, like, and I don't know. If I'm if I was reading into it wrong and like obviously like I think uh the grabber should be killed. He's a fucking monster, right? And like, you know, Finney's gotta be the one to do it, he's gotta be the one to do it. But I do just think like given the whole film and it's entirely like thematically, I'm just like what does the movie say? The movie features a lot of violence. Is it saying anything about violence? I hope not. <laughs> because I don't think it's like a very like it's just kind of like a weird message. But I also think maybe I just didn't. I don't know, maybe I was like, maybe it was like a facet of the movie I wasn't meant to look into as much as I was, or I, or I didn't look through it with the right lens. I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure either. Um, it is a lot of kid on kid violence. I did like the kid. I believe his name is. I'm gonna have to look it up. I don't think it's Billy. I think that's one of the other children. Robin, the kid at the beginning yeah, yeah. who beats the shit out of Moose. And then mm-hmm. who is the last kid who was caught by the grabber who helps Finney get like the ultimate power move to take him down. And that and that scene is, is sick. <laughs> yeah, that's like probably the best scene in the movie is the, the phone scene where they're like in tandem. Uh, like right next to each other and they're yeah, in tandem, and it was just like, holy fuck, that's so cool. Very, very cool. 
Um, so I, I did like that kid, and I think that that kid had a good point, and I did like that he, you know, did stand up for himself. He was, you know, thinking about it a lot, telling Finney that, like, I didn't need to go as hard as I did, but the more blood, the better the show for everyone else, so people know not to mess with me. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, if you're, like, the bully who's getting bullied at school constantly, and then you do get one chance to kind of, like, show everyone else, like, hey... Don't fuck around with me. I can understand why he took yeah. the chance. And especially with, like, that trio of, like, numbskulls who are, you know, trying to beat up Finny throughout the film. It's like, yeah, yeah, there is a time to stand up for yourself and inflict violence. And I guess maybe Robin used it against his oppressors. And then you see it mirrored later with Finny taking down the grabber. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess, yeah, a lot of violence for sure. But... Yeah. I think you're right. I think they're saying, you know, only do it when you have to. Like, sure. Use it as a tool. Don't use it as, like, your hobby. <laughs> if you're going to do right. it, I mean, it has to have a point to it. Yeah, stand up for yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he, like, certainly, you know, by the end of the movie, has more confidence after, like, murdering someone. <laughs> and I was thinking, I was just like, and again, like, you know, I'm not saying, you know, that Ethan Hawke's character deserves, like, all the fucking comeuppance in the world. But I was just thinking, I'm just like, he's, like, sitting next to that girl. He's like, hey, I'm Finn. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, he's not going to have, like, massive trauma later dealing with, like, murdering his, like, abuse. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? I was just like, yeah, he's feeling real cool now. It's, <laughs> like, sweet. So I just thought that was just, like, I don't know. I, I just feel like a kid... Having to murder a grown man with his bare hands uh, would inflict some level of just, like, not feeling so good about it. Right. I don't know. Also, that guy totally sucks, so it probably felt pretty good. Yeah. I don't know. Because, yeah, a couple of the other scenes of, like, really intense violence, I thought the, the one that we see with Pinball Vance, I thought that was a cool scene mm-hmm. because we were kind of seeing it in a flashback. But, but, that felt like a Stranger Things scene, almost. Yeah, but like mostly because yeah. oh, for sure, with the curly, the curly hair. Yeah, yeah, it felt it felt more like '80s, I think, than '70s, which is why I was just like, yo, he he reminds me of Eddie Munson a bit, for sure, like that kind of character. Yeah, yeah, I felt bad for him as soon as I saw him because it's like you can't look at him and not think of another character. I know you're like, yeah, <laughs> you've been you got you've been done before. Yeah. Great, yeah. <laughs> um, but his violent scene is interesting because you're watching it and you're kind you'd kind of gotten little flashbacks to like each kid who had been taken by the grabber and yeah. up until this pinball scene you had been kind of led to believe like you are seeing an outsider's perspective like an omniscient perspective of the moment where they got grabbed but then mm-hmm. they subvert that with the vant scene because at the end, you realize you're seeing it through Gwen's dream. So yeah. the violence that she is seeing go down in that convenience store, when he starts to, like, carve the address into that kid's arm, then you realize, like, oh, that might not have happened. Like, that probably didn't happen unless he carved something else into yeah. that kid's arm. And Yeah, and he's, like, making it, making her see it a different way. Right, right. So that was like a really yeah. cool scene. But again, it was probably one of the more violent scenes in the movie. And then you realize, yeah. oh, the purpose was to send Gwen the message. Yeah. And I, I really like the way that they end up handling their uh, clairvoyant ab- abilities in the movie. Because I thought that like that was really cool. And like, yep, yeah, subvert your expectations. And I like how, you know, you kind of don't really... Think about for me. I didn't think about the phone, like being the dead kid. Like I wasn't sure. I was like, is he seeing things? Does he just have like an active imagination. And then you're like, oh no! Like why wouldn't he have the same abilities as his sister? They're just like manifested differently. You know, like he has a bit of like I see dead people. She has a bit of like I can see uh, uh, anything else we need plot wise in this moment. I can do, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is fine. But. uh yeah, I thought that was... I really liked the way that they, they played with their abilities and um, and how they're used. And I thought that was really cool. And again, like, it's subtle. Yeah. Right? Like, it's 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 not like, you know, they're not using their... They're not being, like, 11 in Stranger Things, like, picking things up with their minds and stuff. They're just kind of, like, using the past. And, like, you know, it's very effective in a 
cinematic way. It was very cool. Yeah. And like you were saying, you know, it's very subtle. I also like that they just kind of give it to you and they're like, we're not going to tell you why or how. Because yeah, like, the, ambigu- the ambiguity really is really nice. Because, yeah. yeah, like not to knock on Stranger Things, but I do think finding out about Eleven is Jane and finding out about like the drug test on her mom and kind of like yeah. all right you're building like a very specific backstory to this character that now if you kind of go against that in like a future season like you're kind of digging yourself a problem because you made it so specific as to why she yeah. probably is this way i liked that yeah these kids it was just very vague i liked how vague it was i liked that the mom also had issues like this and maybe she was you don't know really anything about yeah, her. you don't really know anything about her. You don't know if hers was just simply, you know, like, I don't know, dissociative identity disorder or if it was schizophrenia or what. You don't know if maybe she also could have been helping people, but she just couldn't handle it. Who yeah. knows? And then with the grabber, too, you kind of have to wonder because they make mention like, yes, he can sometimes hear the phone, but he chooses not to. And he says, yeah, I heard the phone the one time. Mm. So it's kind of cool because it makes you wonder if, like, some of his issues, if he's also touched or shines or whatever sure. you want to use. If, mm-hmm. if maybe that led to his madness as well. I like it. Yeah. I like that it's like. Or maybe it's just like. Um, who knows? It's like ghost, like ghost stuff. You know, it's just like, like anyone can see ghosts, but you could be really tapped in. Right. Like the kids are and like, you know. So he just had like a regular paranormal experience or something. I don't know. Yeah. Who's to say? Who's to say? And I really liked the way they wrote all of the children who were coming to Finn's aid in the basement. I thought it was was just spooky enough, especially with them like not really remembering who they are. And then Mm -hmm. them also being upset and angry at Finn for, like, trying to narrow down who they are. I thought that was great, because, yeah, like, a lost soul is lost, and they've, like, finally come to peace with the fact of being lost. And then here's Finn, yeah. like, but what's your name, though? And they're like, it doesn't matter! I'm trying to help you! against them, and they're just like, we're only, we can only exist to help you, because we have no freedom, right. so just please, just fucking listen to us. Just listen to us. Yeah, mm-hmm. stop trying to connect us to our, our space on Earth, because we can't get that back. But yeah. you can. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even though, like, yeah. there wasn't a lot of dialogue written for those kids, I felt, like, very emotionally drawn to those kids, even though they were gone. Well, they, they have very, like, impactful, like, vignettes, yeah. you know? If you can tell, I feel like the shorter a, a story is, if you can make it extremely emotional and impactful, that's, like, what makes it memorable. Um, and so, like, you know, vignettes like that, these kids just being like, I got, like, basically, like, three paragraphs to tell you, like, why my life fucking sucks and I'm dead. And you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is so sad. Yeah, I think, you know, something like the Black Phone, which I, I think the Stranger Things kind of comparisons we keep going back to, besides, like, it just being super big and we just watched it and did an episode on yeah. it. But I do think it's interesting thinking about how this movie uses ambiguity, like, so effectively. But if they ever did, like, a Black Phone 2... And they were like, "All right, let's let's do a flashback and see what happened with their mother." It's like that it instantly would like just like take the steam out of this movie, you know. Right. And that's just like the danger you get into with like world expansion. Like it can be done really well, or like it's kind of like a necessary evil if you're trying to tell a story long form. But something like shorter, you can just like be more ambiguous, and it's like. I don't know. I think if anything, I'm getting like a little, fati- I'm, I have like lore fatigue. Yes. Where it's like, there's so much of these stories, especially in like the Marvel universe, but like even, even like Stranger Things where it's just like, we need to like explore every like microcosm of these characters lives. And then it's like, nothing's left to ambiguity. And like, I think about even being a kid watching uh, like Star Wars and New Hope uh-huh. and they say the Clone Wars and it's before we know anything about the prequels and all that stuff. And like your imagination of the Clone Wars it can, is can be way cooler than like anything they did in those movies and continue to do. And it's like, I don't know. And even like, you know, in Stranger Things, in Stranger Things season three, like you said, like giving Eleven like this backstory and stuff, it's like, it's cool. Like it's interesting, but it's just, you know, it like kills my, it's like, it's like shooting my imagination in the head. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like, yeah, well, 
you know, now you don't get, now you don't have that anymore. Right. So I just think it's like, it's nice to see a movie that, the, the thing is like, that stuff is cool. Like getting lore and getting backstories and characters is cool. It's just becoming a lot less novel now. Yes. And I think that's the issue. And I think that's why it's like really like, pa- like painfully refreshing to be like, did you see that movie? They didn't explain anything. It's like, okay, <laughs> like that's in, that is insane. But it's like, I like thirst for it nowadays. Like, you know, it's like, it's just yeah. nice to have something that like, someone's not shoving a spoon of plot in my mouth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had the thought the other day and you and I are relatively young. And if we... Yeah, relative, relatively. relatively. <laughs> um, and so we... I'm 17, you're 14 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had this thought the other day that if we live to old age, you know, God willing, knock on wood, all that good stuff, um, is there going to be a a time where we're like in our 80s and they're like still making Marvel movies and like they're still doing Star Wars? And is there going to be a time where we get to like the end of our lives and we're like, well, I guess I'm going to miss that next MCU movie? (laughs) Like, when are these things going to end? I agree. It's just like... You're just building lore on lore on lore on lore. And I think it's like a shocking, I don't, exhausting it, thing yeah. to think about. I don't know if it will ever end, but I hope that like we're not 80 and they're like, we've recast Hawkeye 72 <laughs> times. And now we know exactly what he did from the moment he exited his mother's placenta to when he's on his deathbed and everything in between. Right? Because that's what I feel like we're getting with these stories yes. nowadays and like mainstream, like big media where it's just like, we're going to tell you what Obi-Wan Kenobi did on his 32nd birthday, what he ate, who he <laughs> fucked, where he went, what he breathed in. What, it's just like they just they just like are filling in all these gaps where it's just like, yo, I didn't ask for this shit. Uh-uh. And I think there was a time not that long ago where I would have like been excited to be like, oh, yeah, I, I would like to know what happened in between these these big stories or like it would be cool to flesh that out. But uh it is it has been taken too far. <laughs> it is too, far. I think Star Wars is more egregious because they refuse to just like because they got burned so bad, quote unquote, by like yes. the new trilogy. They're like, we're so afraid to do anything that takes place after the core years of when Star Wars really took place in the galaxy. Yeah. So we are just going to just keep filling in gaps until. Yeah, where you don't even know what's going on. It's just like, wouldn't it have been cool if Mandalorian took place like after after Ray, after all that stuff? Like, is that so wrong to want to see? Right. You know, like why? You know, why do I gotta see puppet Luke Skywalker do shit? Like, why do I gotta? Why make me do that? Yeah, it's even. We- it hurts me. <laughs> Definitely. It, it's weirder too with Star Wars because, granted, for a time, for a spell, they had so many Star Wars novels that were considered canon and now they're like well that's not canon anymore but it's like instead of build those novels which were pretty massively popular into film or television they're like well no we're just gonna scrap those and just build our own stuff because at least with marvel while i do sometimes get a little fatigued with that as well at least it's like so many comic books they still have to draw from like the content's there they're also they're they're always pushing the narrative forward forward, right? right Right. Yeah, they're not just like except for Black like you know Widow. like Black Widow and other ones, which yeah. did not do well. Which is like you know, <laughs> yeah, which is, which is like largely a misstep. Like right. let's be honest. Right. Yeah. We were all there. We all witnessed it. It was yeah. not great. It was not great. But Star Wars does, it's, to their credit, even though they are taking the wrong what you're saying, they're taking the wrong lessons from because like there's like the general Thrawn books, yes. and they take place after Return of the Jedi and stuff. So they took the Thrawn things that are no longer canon, but they made him a character in Clone Wars and Rebels. Right. Which is like, you know, I have mixed feelings about because Clone Wars and Rebels is like some of the best Star Wars we get recently, mm-hmm. but it is also the exact problem. The thing is, like, Star Wars and Rebels, when they're or Star Wars and Rebels, Clone Wars and Rebels, like, were coming out at a time where this was a bit more novel filling in these gaps. But now we have just like, you know, now it's like too much. Yeah. <laughs> now it's just like, oh my God. Yeah, Star Wars is like. Just make a story that happens. Star Wars needs to just, they need to push forward. forward. That's the issue. Yeah. 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 I agree. I mean, I'm really digging the big, the Bad Batch. Um, bad Batch is very cool. into that. Same issue. 
but it's good. But it's good. Somehow they kind of avoid yeah. it because it's mostly for kids. I, I recognize that mm-hmm. as I'm watching the show. I'm like, this this show is for kids, but I really like it. Um, yeah, that one's a bit more like I, I feel like it's a bit more all ages than the Clone Wars and Rebels Fair, which that one does feel a bit more like specifically for kids. Where this one's basically just like I don't know, it's like Vietnam action movie in Star Wars, which is like I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> and the show looks great too. It's cool. I mean, like I like Bad Batch too, and I'm excited for season two. I am as well. Uh, I'm ex- I'm surprised they haven't. I thought for sure they were going to put Omega in the uh, the Robert Fett show the boba fett show i was also looking for omega i'm always looking for omega though like oh man omega she's cool yeah but the issue with omega too was also they're like all right so how do we do luke skywalker and leia organa but for clones (laughs) like we'll do omega and boba fett i'm like you fucking pieces of shit (laughs) why why some would say no new ideas hmm zero Hmm. art is dead (laughs) But yeah, that's probably why watching a, a tiny film like The Black Phone feels so, and I will it's nice. choose my word uh, correctly, because I think it was a very fresh film, and I also got the same vibes while watching Fresh, and I was thinking while watching The Black Phone, I'm like, how cool is it that we get like this person who's trapped, who's kind of getting hints from other people who have been trapped? Oh, yeah. And I was like, this feels very fresh. I guess I like this. This is like what I'm into right now. People getting <clears throat> captured and then trying to figure out yeah. how to escape. That's an anxiety you really like seeing in played out. Yes. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> is it because we live through a pandemic? You. Who knows? Who knows? We're all captive in our own yeah. homes. Who knows? Just trying to get out. Who um, knows? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's like movies on the extreme ambiguity scale where it's like something like Titan where it's just like it ends and you're just like all right so like what the fuck and then you spend the next like few weeks like mulling it over and like creating something that is there in the movie that you're pulling from but also like a bit of a story in your own head Uh that you're adding to as well you know and that's really cool and like something like Black Phone is is definitely not quite far along on that scale but like you know it's just it gives you enough to be invested and then gives you it gives you food for your imagination to eat. Yeah. And I think that's something that we could just use a bit more of in stories. And maybe like, you know, and I know it's out there. Mad movies are getting made every day. For There's sure. things outside of like the big pop culture pantheon that we just were talking about. But I just think it's like kind of a bummer that even in these huge stories, these like essentially like, you know, things that kind of cease to be narrative and is now content, <laughs> you know, it just would have been nice to kind of, I think, see, you know, there's no, there's a lot of imagination put into something like a, like a Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, but there's not a lot of imagination I get out of it. Yeah. And I think that films, I think films are a bit of a give and a take in that world. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, very similar to... How Yeah, I enjoy movies that make me think afterward and allow me to think and give me the space to think. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know the classic one that we've all been, like, really upset by in recent years was when, like, Darren Aronofsky came out and he had made Mother and Mother was so <laughs> interesting. And then he was so mad at everyone. He was just like, no, this is what it is. And it's like, no, dude, you don't get to do that. Now you stop. As yeah. you said, shot my imagination in the head. Like, this is unfair because you had given us something that was very cool and thoughtful and anyone could read into it kind of what they wanted to. And then you took it away. Just rude. It is. It is rude. (laughs) And it's just like, you know, I I, I mean, I guess it's not surprising, like maybe a director like Darren Aronofsky would do something like that. But like, (laughs) I do think, you know, I think artists also have to kind of like they have to when they make something, they have to kind of like surrender it to the masses and be like, all right, people are going to interpret this the way they will but i do think like you know there is space for like you know i watched get out love get out we did a hot take on get out we talked about get out i spent years talking about get out and then like you know it was like a year or so later i got it on blu-ray and i listened to the director's commentary you know so i got a little bit more of like oh this is like what he meant but even like you know with jordan peele and get out as that example listen to that director's commentary He's not telling – like, there's nothing in that movie that is just, like, this represents this. It's just, like, 
well, this is kind of what I was going for. He puts like white shaving cream on his face. and It's kind of like, you know, the white taking over white culture, kind of like encroaching in on him. It's like, I think real artists like, you know, they have ambiguous ideas that they communicate visually, but they're not like, you know, they're not references. They're not Easter eggs. They're just art. Yeah, it's you just know? art. Yeah. And I think we've just kind of like just really gotten away from that on the big picture scale. And like, you know, I'm going to keep watching Marvel stuff and like, it's cool. I just think, you know, I just thought there was room for kind of more. Some in between. And like, yeah. And it's like there a little bit. I mean, like, you know, you got something like Spider-Man No Way Home and like, you know, you could have a very, you know, cool interpretation of that movie. That's like, you know, it's about like uh, rehabilitating refugees, Mm -hmm. you know, it's sending them back to where they came from better than they were and like, you know, kind of helping them out. And yeah, that's very unique for a Spider-Man movie as indicative by the movie telling you just like, oh yeah, they had to kill all these villains. And now you have a Spider-Man who's just like, I don't actually want to do that. Right. You know, that's, that's nuanced. That's cool. It's, you know, layered in there. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, that new Thor movie, it's like, I'm not really sure what the overall, like what the onion is on that one, but yeah. no. Yeah. I, I did Fun. listen to the Thor hot take that you and Diana did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I kind of walked away with the same con- conclusions that you two did as well. So, yeah. yeah. They can't all be winners. That was more winners. of a bummer because of... They can't all be winners. That one hurt a little... That one cut a little deep because of our boy. I know. You know, being the one who made it. It's just like... Come, come on, on Taika. What happened? Come on, Taika. He's just got to... He's got to make his own fucking movies. That's he's He's got to get out of there, I think. That's true. That's true. Because I feel like Thor, Love and Thunder is like him being like, I don't want to make movies. <laughs> I don't want to make Marvel movies anymore, so I'm going to make like the least Marvel Marvel movie. <laughs> and it's just like, but like, you know, I I, I feel like I sound hypocritical because I'm just kind of like, well, that's not actually what I want. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's a little too, you know, not to sound too like, uh, this porridge is too hot. This porridge is too cold. But <laughs> Thor Ragnarok is not the porridge that's just right, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the black phone kind of came to be because of the duo that worked on this film uh, not getting to make Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And so... want to make it too spooky, apparently. Right. And when you watched Doctor Strange in The Mom... Pretty spooky. Didn't you feel like it was pretty spooky? <laughs> I thought it was very spooky. But I do think that the, the Sam Raimi brand of horror lends itself better to the MCU mold Mm -hmm. than perhaps Scott Derrickson and uh, Robert Cargill's Mm -hmm. uh, horror does. You know, they made that that first Doctor Strange movie, not really a horror movie, that one, you know, kind of it toes the line a little bit, but not. It toes the line, yeah. Not very hard, though. Yeah, it got me excited to see them do Multiverse of Madness, you know, mm-hmm. and like you know, I'm I'm generally very happy. I, I like Multiverse of Madness a lot as as a Marvel movie, as this content fed to me. I thought it was. Good. I do too. Um, yeah, it was fun, but yeah, I just think that I think what the what the move is and what we ended up seeing was that Sam Raimi's vision is you know he can he can I think toe the line better than most of so doing something that's like you can take a kid to see Multiverse of Madness. And it is also scary. I think just, he just, he does camp so well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, I would have liked to see what the, what their version of that movie would right, have been though. Right. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think Multiverse of Madness is scary, but in an interesting way, interesting yeah. enough that you can kind of ignore how scary it is at times. But yeah, I do think after watching The Black Phone and seeing the jump scares in that, especially when you do get those quick cutaways to like the dead children in the basement, um, yeah, were, was pretty horrific. And there's really no like sugar coating that kind of horror, no. um, and nor would you want to. Um, obviously, there's a place and a time for it, and that place and time is in the basement in The Black Phone, because um, right. ultimately. The film itself is not that scary. It's just tense with brief moments of horror. And if anything, some of the scariest moments 
is when Finn and Gwen get separated and then you're left to think like, oh God, can Gwen like defend herself alone in this home against her abusive father? I was just as squared, scared for Gwen as I was for Finn who had gotten, yeah, because they were both with grown men who like to beat on children. Yeah. And luckily you see her dad kind of like soften up almost instantly. a little bit. So you can have <laughs> almost instantly. So you get some like relief there. Yeah. You're like, all right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, like the scary, like, like isn't one of the scariest scenes of that movie is like when Finn's walking up the stairs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's no horror there. No. I mean, like, and, and kind of like what you're getting at too, like, whatever their version of Multiverse of Madness was going to be, like, you know, it wasn't going to be a true to form horror movie. Right. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what the like creative differences were, uh-huh. you know, like how much were they really pushing it? I can't imagine that much. Like, I can't either. Yeah, you know, they know what they're doing, but. You know, again, who who knows? Who knows what the what happens there? You know, I, you know the with Star Wars, like Colin Trevorrow got kicked off of yeah. doing that that third Star Wars movie that ended up being Rise of Skywalker, and then his screenplay leaked, and you know, I read it, and a lot of people read it, and they're just like, "This is kind of cool." Like, why did they not do this? And like, you know, it's because a lot of times studios and like Disney, I think specifically, they're very reactive yes so they see something like like last jedi and they're like holy shit we gotta react to this and it's just like (laughs) let's do a 180 and then you get last then you yeah and then you get rise of skywalker and it's just like this seems like a lot (laughs) guys like i don't think you know the movie has like a 90 percent on rotten tomatoes they made so much money i think people liked it enough you know so i feel like uh you know the the studio heads and the algorithms get afraid of people really trying to kind of maybe push certain boundaries and you know if you have scott derrickson and robert cargill being like okay well listen we're not going to compromise on that because that's what the movie is then that's yeah that's enough you know yeah that would be a hard no hard to say yeah yeah definitely well after watching this movie i noticed that I am not super familiar with a lot of like the horror films that came out of blumhouse because there were so many all at once they just got very yeah. successful very quickly. And so mm. I've seen, like, the Blumhouse movies. I've seen Insidious. I've seen Insidious 2. I've seen, I have not seen those. some of their uh, series that they've done. But they did Sinister through Blumhouse. Derek Skin and uh, Cargill. They did the, mm. the Sinister movies. And Sinister also stars Ethan Hawke. So oh, I think cool. I'm going to have to go back and watch Sinister and see what I think. I've heard their other movies are great. I have, I have not seen them personally. I would like to check them out. Yeah, yeah. It sounds interesting. Not to say that yeah. I have a lot of time on my plate, but, you know, if I ever get, like, a random two hours and I feel like being spooky. There you go. And it's, then it's there for you. Yeah, absolutely. I got to start watching all the Shreks, so that's, my, that's the spooky <laughs> thing I'm doing. I was going to ask if you had done the <laughs> Shrek cast yet, but it has not happened. The, the Shrek cast is Thursday uh, I seen Shrek one and two, but I started Shrek one late last night, and I was like, "It's time for bed." Yeah, I think I've seen the uh, third I'm one to see as three well, and four. but I don't think I've seen the fourth one. Yeah, the third one is what he has kids. Mm-hmm. I think, and then the fourth yeah. one, I have I have no idea. I also I'm gonna pitch the bird. Just like I think we should watch Shrek is life also and talk about that. That's on YouTube, right? Are you familiar with Shrek? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah, you're familiar. If you've seen any like. Shrek meme that looks like he's like ripped out of The Sims. That is Shrek is life. That is Shrek is life. <laughs> Shrek is life. Shrek is love. You should totally watch that. Is it short? How long is I it? I think so. I think it's. I think it's short. Yeah, I think it's short. That's an easy thing yeah. to pepper on as a treat. Well, I think you know it's hard to talk about Shrek if you don't talk about like meme his, culture. Yeah, his meme culture because that is kind of like you know it's almost like SpongeBob too. Where yes. like SpongeBob is like. Not really SpongeBob anymore. SpongeBob is like some is like a meme <laughs> appropriated by different like, yeah, exactly. It's it's interesting. Yeah, I have on my wall over here uh, a painting of SpongeBob that my brother got all of the siblings. <laughs> is that just his legs? Yeah, and that's there's so this good. painter who just paints like SpongeBob memes, and that's one of them. <laughs> so there you go. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's interesting to see what things have kind of been pushed to that plane where it's just like, yeah, I mean, it's like, that's not about the show or the movie anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Shrek 1's a banger, though. That movie's still good. It's a perfect movie. Perfect. It is a perfect movie. <laughs> perfect. Well, Robbie, do you have any closing thoughts on the black phone? No, I think uh, I think we got them all out there. It's it's a movie that you know. I'm kind of glad we didn't do an immediate hot take on because I wasn't because I liked it, but I had to kind of mull it over. Um, yeah, I I ended up really really enjoying it. I thought it was really good. Agreed. Yeah, definitely recommend. Don't know if it's gonna make a top ten list, but I'll definitely be thinking about it yeah. for a while. Which we'll see. I do have a lot of horror movies. I think tentatively on mine. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just got a lot of good horror movies. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of been saying this for a good couple of years now, but yeah, we're in like a horror renaissance right now and just a yeah. lot of great horror films have been coming out, but glad to add this to the list for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, do you have any specific plugs you would like to plug? Uh, none specifically, you know, if you like hearing my voice, follow me at Rob Bay on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you want to see me just say weird shit, definitely go to Twitter. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, nothing, nothing yet. Uh, I have a new podcast coming out at the end of the month called Story Screen Reports. It's a film, television, entertainment news podcast where I compile what I believe to be the top five-ish stories of the month and then break them down with a guest uh so yeah first episode's coming out i believe the last week of august so everyone stay tuned from for that i'll go i'll start probably promoting that soon but that's that's a project i'm really excited for so uh yeah otherwise you know storiesfromvegan.com check it out great plugs (laughs) well thank you listeners for tuning in for this episode of hot takes Obviously, if you are listening to us, you are probably using some type of podcasting app. So wherever you are, if you could make sure to like, rate, subscribe, all of that good stuff, that would be wonderful and it helps us out immensely. Um, We're kind of everywhere. Obviously, uh, storyscreenbeacon.com, like Robbie had just plugged. But we also, I think, are the most active on our Instagram. So if you want to check us out, we're at story underscore screen underscore beacon. And we usually post all of our fun little things there, whether they be podcasts, articles, or reviews. So make sure to check out all of that stuff and interact with us there. But Robbie, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for hosting. Yes, you're welcome. Excited to do it. Excited to keep practicing. Excited to get into this format for sure. Go. (laughs) All right, listeners. Well, thank you so much. And we will catch you next time. Peace. Bye.